If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Medicine in America, hosted by Anthony Manson and Todd Harrington, shares the stories of physicians, other healthcare professionals, and industry leaders who are changing the way we deliver care. There's an episode that you should check out called Primary Care Reimagined with Subscription-Based Preventative Care Model. It's an inspiring call for a paradigm shift in primary care. All of their episodes highlight innovative ideas at the forefront of the movement to transform our healthcare system. Check out Medicine in America on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. This is episode 130 of the podcast. If you're new to the show, I want to welcome you. Highway to Health is your place for trusted health guidance and support. Whether you're looking to improve your health or just seeking ways to stay well, we're here for you. This growing community is on a mission to improve our state of being and experience together on the planet. Before we get too far into this episode, uh, just a quick reminder that I could really use your help. While this show is a labor of love for us, your contributions are making this content available for everyone. You can become a health amplifier today for the price of a cup of to-go coffee by going to patreon.com forward slash highway to health. Your support is greatly appreciated. So I got a chance to discuss recently uh, with Dr. Jeff Crippen, his new book, Timeless Youth. That's Y-O-U-T-H. So much thought-provoking information in here and great guidance on how to get support uh, for your health and just daily practices for yourself. He had a great quote at, at the beginning of the book that I think sums up what we're about to discuss. And it's been stuck in my head since I read the book. It's a quote from Hippocrates that says, it's more important to know what sort of person has a disease than to know what sort of disease a person has. And this is a far cry from the current modern diagnostic approach that we've come to accept as the norm in medicine. But I believe it's exactly what's missing from our system of care and why I invited Jeff on the show to discuss this with me. This dialogue also demands that we as seekers of care be more engaged in our own story and explore what our belief systems are and where they come from. Some very empowering stuff in this one. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Jeff Crippen. Are you in Texas somewhere? I'm in Texas. I'm in about 90 miles north of Dallas, so a little small town called St. Joe, or it's an hour, hour and a half north of Dallas. Okay. Is, is, that, is that where you grew up? No, I grew up in Miami, Florida. Oh, is so that right? Down there. Yeah, I lived there for 10 years, uh, then Michigan for 10 years. Uh, my dad moved for work and went to college there, did chiropractic school okay. in Atlanta for about five, and then um, and then moved to Texas, um, yeah, about 12 years ago, so been here since then and anything in particular that that drew you there yeah so um there was i was going to chiropractic school and i kind of got introduced to um the idea of personal development or working on myself yeah uh the idea things that were revolutionary like the idea of being present <laughs> you yeah. know and some of those you know foundational pieces and um and I got really interested in that area and didn't understand a lot about it. And anyway, fast forward, as I graduated, I was looking to go to Australia or maybe Sweden for a couple of years, just work and then open, come back and open my own practice was kind of my big goal. And then um, 
there's a coaching leadership center I was studying with in Texas, an hour and a half north of Dallas, which is where I am now. And they said, hey, why don't you come here to small town Texas? So it was Australia, Sweden, or a town of a thousand people, (laughs) Wow! which is what what brought me here. And that was, uh, like I said, that was about 12 years ago. It's kind of of cool. I I I grew up in Minneapolis or just outside of Minneapolis. Uh But I I, my mom is from a small town in Iowa, so I would spend I would spend a lot of summers, you know, in in small town life. And then uh, fast forward in my late twenties, I I ended up deciding to move out to Brooklyn, New York. Okay, yeah. Because I had some good friends there, and I actually really liked the small town vibe of these little communities in Brooklyn. So yeah. I've, I've basically sort of been connected to that community now. I still, even though I live, I'm back living in, I lived out there for 13 years, back living in Minneapolis, but okay. I still go out there um, to treat people kind of eight to oh. 10 times a year. So I'm still there about 50 days a year. Okay. Which I would have never, oh, wow. you know, planned in my, <laughs> in my career. It's, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. But, you know, in some ways I feel like it seems like your, your work is a little bit like this, and we can kind of get into the conversation if you want. The, yeah. I, I feel like there's that. Just just reading through the book, I, I see a, a lot of crossover going on with the way both of our you know, paths, you know, and ended up going where the direction that they did. Because my 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 health issue didn't start till a little bit later. You you know, I, I yours was at six years old. I had I started having back problems in my teen years, and then into my twenties. Which led me on, you know, a similar path and and to discover similar things that, that we'll dig into here from the book. But, you know, I think a lot of my work at this point is also, and, and what I, I gather from, you know, a lot of your intention in the book is is that you're just you're trying to serve this bigger community now, which is yeah. you know both the community that you serve, you know, in person, and then also kind of this bigger global community too. Yeah, you're exactly right, and yeah, that's kind of where the intention of the book came from mm-hmm. was from. You know, like you said, yeah, there's a recognition of how much reach you can have or I can have, you know, one-on-one or through an office or through teaching. Yeah. And then there's an expansion out there if you can reach more patients and hopefully help them avoid some of the, you know, difficulties we went through yeah. or at a minimum learn from them yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we can get through them as quickly as possible when it comes up. And, and, and they're concepts that I feel like I'm not sure why we're struggling so much to to come back to this. Except that you know there, there was something about um, I, I jotted down a note about your about Louis Pasteur and um, mm-hmm. I forget the other guy's name Cla- Claude Bernard and Claude and, Bernard, and, yep. and so th- these these two ideas of one is basically looking for problems <laughs> and the other yeah. one is looking to bolster you know the the organism right so th- th- this is kind of where where we where we get stuck I feel like so much is 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 we're, we're looking for problems so much that we forget to take care of, of of who we are in general yeah and just and just for the listeners so Louis Pasteur was a famous microbiologist um, both of them actually lived in Paris yeah that's um, interesting so I've, there's <laughs> been there yeah no and I've been there but but it was interesting I didn't realize they had both lived in like the same area yeah, so so Louis, so Louis Pasteur has his main clinic, and it's about a five or ten minute walk to a statue of Claude Bernard at <laughs> the University of Paris. So it's just interesting. These you know, you see these amazing ideas come together. But Pasteur is the namesake of you know what we now know as pasteurization, right? Which is the process of heating up, you know, milk most commonly, but any kind of protein to kind of kill off the microbes. Yeah. And that was his idea, as you were alluding to, which was, you know, we need to look for the bad guys and kill them. Yeah. And Claude Bernard had a totally different view. 
his view was if you look at the health of the whole, when you have a diseased organism, they're more likely to have microbes develop in them. So the example might be for someone, if you have a lawn, you know, if you have a healthy lawn, you're not going to get weeds. Right. But if you start to have a patchy lawn, then there's weeds going to pop up. You start using weed killers, right? (laughs) Exactly. Now, Pasteur might walk around with weed killer and Claude Bernard said, yeah, we might need to pull the weeds, but really what we need to do is create a really healthy environment. Right. So supposedly now Pasteur is the one who, you know, became much more famous and pasteurization is still around with today. And, you know, very elements of germ theory are still with us in a very strong way today. But Pasteur supposedly on his dead said, on his deathbed, excuse me, said that Bernard was right. It's the terrain that matters and mm-hmm. not the bugs, basically. Yeah. Um, and that's that idea of holism. Um, and that's that idea of holism, which is which is absolutely foundational to health. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think we saw that, you know, with COVID. I mean, quite simply, the healthier somebody was, like what was really clear, yeah. even from those first months, yeah. was the healthier somebody was going into it, the better the outcomes were. Right. I mean, you saw stats with, you know, rates of hospitalization and death of people with diabetes and people with cancer and people who were overweight, like those risk factors, people elderly. It yeah. was very clear, even from the beginning, that the healthier you were going in, the healthier the terrain was, the better chance you had coming out of it in the best way possible. Right. And and as you said, with the like weeds and, and you know, supporting the lawn, you know, the weed killer versus supporting the lawn, sometimes you do have to pull the weeds, you know, so in these situations yeah. where we, we have, you know, uh, some, some a virus where, you know, it's dangerous and we, we should do whatever we can to protect it. But at the same time, we, we have to basically just continue to focus on ourselves and our, our own well-being. And that was kind of where, you know, I think there were a lot of a, a lot of arguments and there's always going to be outliers in this. Right. There's always going to be people with, you know, genetic predispositions that we didn't even know about until they you know, got infected. But, you know, by, by and large, the, the whole of, you know, the, the world population was finding, I mean, as we start studying and it's going to take years to probably get this analysis done. But seeing what was going on with individuals who seem to be you know, having trouble with it almost immediately. Yeah, and I'd say, so, you know, I have a chiropractic office, we have a nutrition office, we're not allowed to treat anything, and we don't right, treat right. anything, but yeah. we had a chance to support a lot of patients through this COVID experience. Yeah, me too. And, yeah, hundreds of them, and, you know, and you had a chance to see what works, and we've had patients, you know, and we, you know, knock knock on wood, we're able to have incredible results with with patients, and it was all from this holistic standpoint of rebuilding the body, and we'd go through you know, the individual, you know, nutrients. So vitamin C was really important. Vitamin D was really important. And then you start looking at minerals. Zinc got a lot of press. There was a lesser known one. Calcium is very much involved in the innate immune response. So you start going through building up the body and then there's herbal support and then there's drainage. Cause as you know, it's very much, um, probably aligns with your world, but like yeah. you gotta, you gotta kill the guys off, but then you also got to help drain out the system. So you can systematically build it up, but at the whole time, the focus was only always on how can we make the whole healthier? Because ultimately what's fighting off anything for you or for me or for any of your listeners is the body. Right. It's that innate wisdom of the body. And we, even if we give it a drug or, or nutrition or food or kind of body work intervention, it's all with the idea, the intention of eliciting that kind of innate response there. So the more you can work with the body, which I've heard you talk about on your podcast yeah, as well, yeah. work with the body I mean, that's an incredible alignment to have rather than, you know, um, 
taking a taking a drug or taking a surgery to force the body to do something again can be necessary short term, but that's more of a disease treatment model rather than a health promoting or healthcare system. Yeah, and and I think what it seems like we 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 probably also cross paths in that we're both probably a little obsessed with the autonomic nervous system <laughs> and and yeah. it's and its role in all of this right because Absolutely. this this is where it kind of gets down to the you know both the physical mental emotional and this you know this part we can call spiritual which i think yep. you know really is about interconnectedness and purpose and you know i i feel like we need to break down spirituality sometimes that we're not just talking about you know a religious basis but you know Absolutely. what what those what those precepts to most religious bases are and and i find that that's where you know when, when people really, con, you know, connect into all those parts and, and also, as you said in the book, like not avoiding or not, or not trying to come up with cover-ups for some of those things, you know, that this, this is where our work I'm, I'm sure is very similar is that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm inviting people to kind of go through what I call serious play, you know, like when, yeah. when things come up on the table doing a craniosacral session, I'm, 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 I've been trained in dialoguing with these kinds of things too, so that I'm, I'm trying to stay grounded in the body as to what they're feeling and, and what, what's going on and, and really developing this awareness, uh, you know, of where it exists in the body so that, so that we can start working with it. But from, from that point on, I, I want them to start exploring and realizing that they are, they are the ones in charge. And, and it's, and it's very different. And, and, you know, there are even people in, in my field or in adjacent fields that I feel like sometimes get a little bit too into their own power in that situation, suggesting things yeah. to people and that kind sure. of stuff. Yes. It's yes. really my goal to, to try to keep them in, in their own words and in their own language. So even if I'm, even if I'm talking to them, I'm, I'm a lot, a lot of times I'm just reflecting back or asking questions of things or sometimes getting them to interact with what comes up for them. Sometimes it's a feeling, sometimes it's an image, whatever it is. And now we have something to start working with that relates, you know, we will, we'll go into this later, I'm guessing, but relates back to a lot of times early childhood things. I could, I could not agree with that point. You just made more. And one thing I want to really highlight of what you just said, there's a lot of great stuff, but specifically that point of it's easy for practitioners to superimpose or to ask leading questions mm-hmm. or to, to think they know what's going on with someone. Yes. And I, th- and that is, you know, one of, one of the things we help do is help train, train coaches through, through my work at the advanced coaching and leadership center. But part of that job and the thing that I bring up is most people coach others as if they're the client, right. meaning the way they want the to be coached right. or the way they would respond. Some people respond to hard coaching. Some respond to best to a lot of follow-up. Some respond to a more gentle technique. Right. And so by, by, by kind of like the path of least resistance or the easiest way to start coaching others is exactly the way you'd want to be coaching. But it's really a high level skill to do exactly what you just described, which is to perceive the client where there's at and what there's, what's best for them. And the best way to do it is by asking questions, but like questions, the, um, the root word yes. of education is educe which means to draw out. So this mm-hmm. is kind of the Socratic method yeah. of teaching, right? It's asking questions to help them find right answers. But if you can ask the questions to help the client find the right answers, I was really, I love the story you told about the woman with the deadbolt in her knee. Oh yeah. A couple episodes back. Yeah, yeah. And you just asked quite simply, is it locked or unlocked? And then how long has it been there? But you ask questions and it, by doing that, she was in the driver's seat the whole time. Yeah. And she told you something, you know, as practitioners, we can get flashes of things. The more we can tap into what's going on and be with the patient after a while, you can yeah. start to feel things. But if you can ask questions so they tell you 
you're either right or wrong and you'd be totally willing to be right and then totally be, be willing to be wrong. But to, like you said, to put them in control and ask questions is an incredibly powerful place to be. So I just, I really want to highlight that part, especially of what you just said, because that was a really, I, if some, if, if practitioners listen to this, just take that part away from what you said. Yeah. It will change the practice. Yeah, I mean, and th- and th- that was the thing for me that I was getting from some of my training was, I I, I felt like I had been missed, you know, with with my yeah. back problems, be- and partly because they were they were judging what they saw on the surface, which was like a very young person who was you know struggling with chronic pain. And if you're struggling with chronic pain as you as you were as a young person, your your whole world is skewed by by that per- yeah. by, by that perception, you know, and it starts to get pretty dark because you don't, you know, you you don't have the skill set also at the, at that age to figure out like any any way out of this, and all sure. the people that you've put your trust in in terms of like, you know, your parents and medicine and <laughs> and anyone who might help lead this process, it's none of it none of it is going anywhere, and you do start to s- sort of wonder like. Is this my fault, right? You start kind of putting it into the, into that mindset, and what I've what I've kind of found with in terms of intake with people is, you know, we can we can ask all the questions we want in an intake form, and I try to keep my intake form fairly short. I know a lot of people really want to go through the weeds of all that stuff. I feel like they've already been through it most, with people most of the time. I'm looking for one <laughs> one one nugget that no one has gotten basically because yeah. I'm not usually the first person that people end up with. So. Like with the, the 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 story I told about the you know the woman that came up with the deadbolt image in her knee, was in a car accident and she had been working with a therapist um, th- that I collaborated with a lot, and said and she just had this instinct like I think this might be a person that you can you know crack because she was just getting nowhere with her she was really angry yeah. she wasn't she she wasn't really opening up very much, and you know. In, in that situation, I feel like I have nothing to lose. Like I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay very present to anything that comes up. I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna judge what this is. I have no. I, that's. I go into most of my cases like that. Like I really, I'm gonna go in with it. You know, completely open. Even though they may present all sorts of things to me. You know, in in the intake, a lot of times the things that I really want to get, they end up not putting in the intake. Even if I, even if I put something in there like, have you ever had a head injury? They won't tell me. <laughs> yeah, know, it'll it'll come out like you know a couple sessions later. Like, well, I went through I went through the window of a you know car when when I was eighteen. It's like, okay, so you know, and and that and that that tells you about all sorts of trauma. And this and this woman with the deadbolt in her knee. The thing that the thing that came through that for me was that she 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 didn't want to she she didn't want to relate anything prior to the car accident to what she was feeling right now. And she yeah. really, she really wanted it to be about a potential traumatic brain injury, and and it was a defense mechanism for not having to go back through childhood trauma. Yeah. Right. And ju- yeah, and just like you said, and just and you know, and, and I was laughing at your story of, um, you know, the person. Oh, oh, by the way, I forgot I put my head through a glass window, <laughs> right, or right, whatever it happens right, to be. Right. It happens all the time, but that's the power of, you know, practitioners who put their hands on the body. Yeah. Right. Because like you said, memory, um, memory is not just stored, you know, as you know, it's not just stored in the mind or in the brain. It right. is stored in every single cell of the body. Yeah. And when you put your hand on someone's head or over a scar or over an area, it's amazing what will come up around that because there is, yeah. you know, this is, there is, in my experience, there's a hundred percent stored memory, stored energy in the different cells or in the different parts of the body. Right. Um, that if you don't, you know, and, and more and more traditional medicine is moving towards 
diagnostics, blood work, um, and diagnosing basically like a computer algorithm, right. which, you know, there's incredible value in those diagnostics. And I mean, honestly, it, it amazes me every day what they can figure out from a bit of blood and some, you know, some, some Absolutely. electrons flying Absolutely. around. But you do lose something with, you know, as they move away from that old time country doc kind of idea of mm -hmm. someone who can actually put their hand on it, actually feel the fever and actually palpate those lymph nodes as someone's right. sick. Because there is a lot of information to be learned through communication by the body, specifically from touching it. Yeah. And, and as practitioners, we're also kind of analyzers of patterns, right? I mean, a lot of what we do day to day is... You know, we, 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 we look for something that we've seen before on some level. That doesn't mean, you know, yeah. everybody is go, going to fall yeah. into the same category. But just just to kind of give us a roadmap of like it could be I, I could take this road or I could take this road or maybe we have to explore both of these. That that's the other that's the other part. Like you you kind of go into the book talking about like what the different steps of, of you know, medical diagnosis is, which is diagnose the problem, treat the problem, eliminate the symptoms. But we don't get, we don't get into asking why did, they why, did, why did this happen in the first place, which is what you and I are kind of, you know, why, why, why we're staying in, the, in, in questions all the time, right? It's like, yeah. you know, I, I have seen a lot. I've done about 25,000 sessions at this point. But, but, it, but if, you know, if, if there's something that nobody else has been able to figure out yet and... And especially if, if, you know, a lot of times I'll get a, I'll get a very quick shift within the first couple of sessions with somebody, which tells me there's probably a considerable nervous system component to this. Why does their body kind of, or why does their cellular act, activity continue to believe it's, it's in this, you know, fight all the time, right? That there's, that yep. there's, there's something that's going on that it needs to kind of keep overreacting to things. But you know, I'm I'm also just I'm constantly asking questions of them. I feel like my my intake goes on for for many sessions, especially with these people <laughs> who don't, who aren't you know quick healers. And sometimes you're going over it, and then you ask the same question. Right. And maybe you don't. Maybe you don't remember the answer. Maybe you do remember the answer. Maybe you have some notes. But just kind of that intuition of there's something more here, and maybe the patient doesn't fully know it what it is yeah. and sometimes it's going over it multiple times they really kind of open it up um and i think which i think is incredibly valuable and, and like you mentioned the idea of patterns and i think you know certainly you know as you start doing this for years or decades it's like and you get those experiences you said tens of thousands of clients like your sessions you get you definitely there's definitely are patterns and i think that's um that's part of the skill is like, is being able to see those patterns as quickly as possible. And then also being totally willing to be wrong that this could be something you've never seen before, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And you're almost yeah. holding those two dichotomous thoughts in your head, which is like, oh, it's um, rashes over the body, it's changes in bowels, it's a dysbiotic gut, often underlying fungal or parasite infection or some kind of dysbiotic gut. I yeah. kind of know what this is, I know what this, I know how it is, I know how to respond. And then you kind of work through that and all the experience, you have the patients flashing through or whatever's there. And then at the same time you go, this is Mary or Sue or Joe or whoever. Mm -hmm. It's a unique person with a unique set of experiences. And I'm still learning and growing with every session I do. Yeah. And this yeah. could be something totally different. So I feel totally confident that I know what it is, but also totally willing for this to be the one in a thousand or one in a million or one in 10 outlier from that yeah. and be willing to help them from that. And I think... I think that's a real key thing to juggle the confidence and the certainty and bringing in all of your past knowledge into that session. So you're fully present in that moment with all that knowledge, 
but also totally willing to discard that if none of it serves you. And right. it is the first time you're seeing this person or with this particular condition. Yeah. And balancing those two, I think, is, is um, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's powerful and it's you kind of balancing those two dichotomous ideas um, is an interesting balance, but I think, like I said, incredibly powerful if you can do that. Yeah, and I, I, I feel like the other part of this for us is, is being patient um, yeah. because... I I I I'm not always confident in what I you know what I think it, it might be if there's something that's that is really an outlier that no one else has been able to kind of figure out. But I but I I have a lot of confidence in in staying patient with the process. Mm. And and you know if I'm working with somebody that has a really you know a, a unique challenge that's autoimmune or it's you know in, in the Lyme disease category or even some yeah. of the post COVID stuff that's coming up where it's like. Is that yeah. really a post-COVID thing? It's probably five things, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And and sometimes you start getting clues to them as as time goes on, and, and sometimes it does go back to these to these childhood things. So so my, so my curiosity with you know going back to to your stuff, yeah. is, is you know, is is there is there a tipping point for you as far as like both as a child starting to realize you you were having some problem. And then, and then, what was that tipping point, sort of out out of that as well? So, when did I first realize I was having an issue? Yeah, and then yeah. When, and then, and then, and then, when and then was, was there a point at which you realized, you know, I think I've got control over this? And 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 how how long is that? And it sounds like there was a lot of up and down, yeah. which is always, almost always the case. Yeah, that's an issue. So, the first part, when did I start to realize there was an issue? I think well, headaches started around six years old, and I think as they became more frequent, that's um, interesting because I'm trying to like go back. At, into my six-year-old mind, you know, you start going to the pediatrician, um, taking children's Advil, children's Tylenol, yeah. over-the-counter stuff. And, you know, I think that felt pretty, you know, somewhat normal to me that kids would get headaches every yeah. once in a yeah. while. Then when you go to the pediatrician and then they start, and then eventually I was taking a prescription, you know, ibuprofen, then prescription medications. You start building that stuff up. I think that, um, you know, I still, as a child, I was raised, you go to the doctor and you trust them. Yeah. Right. And you just do what the doctor says. And, you know, if, if that would have worked for me, then I probably wouldn't have been here today. Um, when it felt like probably as as the years went on and I, and I would go to a doctor and they start like getting little cracks in that paradigm or that viewpoint of the world of like you try something and then the doctor says this should help your headache and it doesn't. And then you go back and they say, this should help your headache. And it doesn't. And then, you know, I probably, you know, it probably took me a while. I must've gone, you know, same doctor, you know, five, 10 times. And then multiple different doctors I went through five or 10 times. And, you know, we treat our bodies in my experience, very different than a car. If you went to a mechanic seven times and he told you he fixed it and your car never got better, you probably wouldn't give the mechanic two years. Right. Right. right? But we seem to totally do that with doctors in the medical system. At least that was my experience of yeah. like, kept getting worse. So once it started to impact, I think once, I guess a big point I really remember is when I stopped playing sports mm. and like the doctor said, Hey, I don't think you're quite up for being able to play sports. Um, it was one thing to come home and rest and sleep. And, you know, I, I always went to school, um, even when the headaches were at its worst and at its worst was, um, two years, you know, nonstop every moment, every day for two years was the headache. So, but it still went to school, still pushed through, still got all that done. Um, but also I think once I stopped playing sports and then you just, 
And then I think it's also an interesting question to ask because I just, and I'm sure you and many of your listeners can relate. You're just so in survival mode. You're not even thinking about that other stuff. Oh yeah, it's for like, sure. I'm just trying to make it another 10 minutes or another day or sleep tonight and hope it gets better in the morning. When did I feel I got a handle on it? I was probably really hesitant with that part of the question because you get these glimpses of getting better, but there's like this like demon dark side over your shoulder of like it could yeah. come back at any moment. Yeah. And it's a kind of PTSD uh, of sorts, right? Yeah, it is. It's like, and even like, you know, I remember like having to write papers for school and like being unable to leave it till the last moment because I don't know if I'm going to have a headache that's going to knock me out for three days. So yeah. you're always yeah. working ahead. And I think I did that for, for years or just planning thing with friends. And you're like, well, I don't know if I'll be able to, you know, move or get off the couch on Saturday night. So it took, that took, that probably took 10 years for yeah. sure to really work through a lot of that stuff to feel, to trust basically that I was getting better. And, and it sounded like you had a period where they started to address you as a, a little bit more of a whole where it's like, let's take sugar out of your diet. <laughs> You know I mean? Yeah. Simple, simple things that were that, that that should be a first test, you know. And a lot of times, well, I'm sure you. It, it sounded like you went through this. If if they're not being, if if they're if their simple solutions are not working, it must be something much more complicated. So yeah. then they start thinking of you know cancers and tumors and all these things, right? That's yep. that that's the yeah. obvious next choice. Even though there's so much in between <laughs> that there could potentially yeah. be. Yeah. Um, and so, so, you know, it sounded like there was some, there was a shift that happened, right. With kind of some dietary changes, but you know, they, they're oftentimes with kids, they're not going to start getting too, too much into stress management things. Um, which I, you know, I, I treat a lot of kids and I treat a lot of kids who are, you know, who have a lot of anxiety stuff going on, a lot of sensory processing issues, kind of ADD, ADHD. Then there's always a crossover. And and there, you know, I I work with kids who are already starting to have like a lot of existential kind of dread type of things because they've been struggling so much or because the adults around them are struggling with the fact that they're not, you know, everything that they'd like them to be too. So it gets gets complicated. Yeah, that's such a, that's such a great point. um, What you said around kids, because, you know, kids are more than just, you know, tiny, tiny people, yeah. right? I mean, they they can be, and they have all the incredible abilities to be present, Absolutely. to perceive, to pick up on the energy. I mean, they're, they might be in tiny bodies, but they yeah. have incredible abilities just like all of us. And that idea of, you know, what's the environment in the home and very much you can see kids picking up on that anxiety or picking up on that stress if it's going on between mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or with another sibling. And those mood levels kind of permeate, oh, yeah. um, permeate the homes and connect up and kids can suck that up like a sponge. And, and that can have a physical effect kind of on, on the body. Um, and how I got into that, the, the sugar, it was cut out sugar and cut out dairy. And this was okay. 1998 for me. So 25 years ago now, probably that would be most of at least most processed grains, most wheat as well would probably mm-hmm. be added to that. Yeah. But that was actually when I, I, my first real successful trip outside the medical system, when I went to kind of a holistic chiropractor who did some work with nutrition and with chiropractic, that's when I finally felt, Oh, there's somebody who sees me as more than just a head or more than just, you go to an eye doctor and yes. see you as an eye yeah. or you go to yeah. a neurosurgeon. They look at you as this little spot or this mass I had in my brain, but you know, and I think that is something everyone on this call needs is somebody who's able to to kind of quarterback 
their health team, right? If you see a cardiologist for your heart and you see a nephrologist for your kidney and you see a, you know, hematologist for the blood and you kind of go through all these specialties, but the drug they put you on to lower your blood pressure can affect your kidneys in a negative way. Right. But if you have one person doing this and one person looking at this, you can get so myopic. And now there's a medication see. for that. <laughs> right. you exactly. Know. Well, that's exactly how it happens. Yeah. And that's how the average, you know, the average adult can get on you know, five different medications. It's time. It's exactly that process that you said. Take one thing from this doctor, then there's a side effect. And instead of looking at what caused it, add one more on and add one more on. Yeah. And then you're and then unfortunately, you're on a road that um, gets you further and further away from health. Yeah. And the opportunity I think we have going back to kids is that they are actually, they're, 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 they're a little bit more open-minded most of the time. I mean, I get, I get some kids too, who yeah. I don't know where their, their thinking comes from or whether it's come from. I, I find a lot of times there's, there are two different, you know, there are two different subsets of parents who I'm working with and I like to try to get them all in the room at the same time, but too many mm-hmm. times I just get mom, you know? So yeah. the, and, and, and I think for, for, because, because women, especially if they're younger, if they're younger parents, Women, women know a lot more about their bodies and they're much more tuned into the innate intelligence part that you write a lot about in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're, they're looking for holistic solutions. Whereas I find, you know, dads oftentimes are much more willing to say, let's just take, let's just do what the doctor says, you know, yeah. and, and, and they may not have had any, any issues yet in their lives. So it's, you know, they're, they're not always the best, the best judges. I'm, I'm very unique in that situation as you are, where we're, we're, we're already starting to think about with a, with a smaller person, what might be, what might be going on here that might be affecting the, them yeah. overall as a whole, right? We, we know that there's probably some dietary stuff that could be helpful. Maybe there's some stuff we can do through hands-on work that could be helpful and probably some, you can, I feel like you can really start coaching kids on a lot of things. I'll, I have this kind of rule with pretty much everybody that I only give them one thing for homework each time. Because yeah. that I feel like if you know in between sessions I'm lucky to, if the, anybody does one thing once, <laughs> right? But but to give yeah. them that even even like going back to your story like thinking about you know even though now we would include um, um, anything with with processed wheat even even just taking taking out dairy or taking out um, sugar as as yep. a starting point gives us some some sense of like if that changes things now now we have some insight into into what we can do to manage this even yeah. though it doesn't have to be everything that's possible that we can do to manage this changing one thing might be a starting point for somebody and then the improvement confirms the problem yes right you right. cut the sugar out and you see the improvement that confirms that was an issue yeah right so then it you know encourages us to take one more step down that road <clears throat> maybe we look at you know especially with a lot of neurodevelopmental issues in children sometimes food dyes and colors could mm-hmm. be another route down there so you you take one step at a time like you said and i think that one one piece is is a great a great point but you take that you take that step by step and just kind of see where that takes you yeah and and so th- one of the things I, I i've actually never looked through this list i wanted to just share this because Great. The the adverse childhood experience list I've, I've I know yeah. of the study, but and I, and I'm curious to see if there's I, I and I was looking at this for myself too because I, you know as through my healing process I I came to identify that I did have do have a congenital foot issue which led to I think me starting to have hip and lower back pain and sciatic uh-huh. and stuff at a pretty young age, um, but you know I, I I also started to identify the fact that. 
I was, I was, had some anxiety issues. I wasn't very good at stress management. I was kind of a hyperactive kid too. So I probably, I don't know if I was ever, you know, diagnosed or if this wasn't even a thing at the time of, of being sort of attention deficit or ADHD, but, but I, but I knew I was struggling to like settle, <laughs> I guess mm -hmm. the, what, sure. what, I, what I would call it. And which was a kind of an energetic thing that I think I was being depleted by and some emotional stuff too, which is uh, th those things are always going to be kind of, you know, tied across yeah. the board. But with the, with the adverse childhood experience study, these were, these were the 10, the 10 things that we, that we look at on here, which is physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical neglect, emotional neglect, exposure to d domestic violence, household substance abuse, household mental illness, parental uh, separation or divorce, and in incarcerated house household member. I, I, I had I had divorce. I didn't have a lot of yeah. other you know factors necessarily. Yeah. But as, as you say in the in the book, there, you know, once you start getting up to four factors, the the the, the impact that's going to probably lead to chronic disease, depression, you know. Other other kinds of you know substance abuses and suicide just goes up astronomically. Yeah, and to put some numbers around that, it was um, if you have a score, if you have four of those compared to someone who had zero, seven hundred percent increase in alcoholism, two hundred percent increase in cancer, four hundred percent increase in emphysema. Like how many people go to a lung doctor and think, oh, this is stress related? All right, right. right. I thought that was a amazing. An ACEs score above six was a 3,000% increase in attempted suicide, 3, uh, but you also see the increased risk of fetal death, illicit drug use, liver disease, uh, part uh, risk of violence from your intimate partner, sexually transmitted disease, smoking, and unplanned pregnancies. So you go through this, and I think, and this study um, was in the United States, about 17,000 people were part of it, but it's been replicated in over 20 different countries. Mm. And they see very consistent findings. So it's not just a US-centric phenomenon, it's a worldwide issue. And in my experience, it's not just childhood. So this study focused on childhood um, trauma, but yeah. the idea of a shock at any age, I think functions the same way. Yeah. Um, and, and the example I like to give for this is you know, the bodies, imagine, imagine we have a boat in the ocean and that's the body and the stress is the waves. So we could do one of two things, right? And you have giant waves crashing on the boat. Eventually it's going to start to wear and tear the boat, mm -hmm. right? You can have some issues with that. So we can do one of two things. We can build a stronger boat and that's primarily what we're doing through, you know, through nutrition, um, through a lot of the holistic methods to build it up on kind of the autonomic system, we're probably improving the communication channels between the boat, making sure that get the nutrients get to where they need and you can rebuild right. as efficiently as possible, but you focus on rebuilding the boat. The second thing you can do is calm the seas, yeah. right? And that's work on the stress, handling some of those underlying issues. And some patients want to rebuild the boat, some want to handle the stress and some want to do both. And yeah. that's kind of that conversation going back to what we started with that question um, to see where someone goes. But I mean, this idea, there's a guy named uh, McClare. He was at Oxford. He said the body is up to 100 times more sensitive to energetic stimuli than to physical stimuli. So what's he saying? Mm. He's saying the body is 100 times more sensitive to the energy in our environment than yeah. it is to things like hormones and vitamins and nutrients. Even if we're and not aware we, of it. But Exactly. But also, I think we all know this. Because how many of us have walked into a room and seen someone we didn't like on the other side of the room? And we start to get a little nauseous or we start yeah. to get a little queasy or our heart rate comes up or our breathing gets starts to change right and nothing actually happened right 
right? right. Nutritionally, what changed from eight seconds ago when we opened the door to now is zero, roughly, <laughs> right. right? Our biochemistry hasn't changed that much, but if the energetic change, that perception of that changes it, it immediately changes our body. And yeah. we've all had that experience. Yeah. So that's one example of how that, that piece can manifest. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's, it's one of the pieces that I think you're, you're suggesting in the book that, that we need to be really paying more attention to as far as yeah. how we build for ourselves. Because you, know, you had a couple of you know, great quotes in here about if we start looking outside of ourselves for, for mm -hmm. all, all of our help, you know, yeah. that, that, that basically limits the, our, our ability to stay present and understand what it is we need. And it's, it's kind of, the, it's kind of what we tend to do in general. And some of that is, is, you know, who we are as people, maybe, maybe we haven't been empowered to, to believe that we have this, that, that we have this sort of innate healing capacity. And there, there may have been a number of factors that have, or, or a number of, you know, things that have happened in our lives that have, that have, you know, made us feel that that is, that that is the case. But I think digging, digging into some of these things that you're talking about that are, that are sort of basic calming, calming the seas things, we know stress, you know, is basically one of the, what it's, it's that, it's that one factor that it's, it's, you know, and stress can be good or bad. You know, I think there, yes. there are certain things that basically like motivate us that are, that are part of that. But some of these things that may be more on the, on, on that energetic side of, uh, of our lives are, are the parts that we can, you know, build, you know, build in some sort of practices that can help prevent that from, from those waters from ever getting, you know, choppy. And I think that's the point, right? Cause we go to our doctor and most of the time they'll ask us our, you know, they'll ask or check our weight. They'll check our blood pressure, right? They'll ask us if we smoke. And each of those, and you know, often they'll measure cholesterol levels, which that's a whole nother conversation, but at least yeah. it's something they're looking at, right? And each of those have shown, you know, take cholesterol out of it, but the first three have shown they can increase the lifespan of someone one to three years. Okay, so, but what we know is whether someone's an optimist or a pessimist or someone's mood level can have an effect of seven, 10, up to 15 years on someone's life. So if we look at this idea and we add this to that idea of the body's a hundred times more sensitive to energetic stimuli, mm -hmm. we add this to the fact that trauma can have dramatic increases in things like obesity, heart disease, camp, cancer, emphysema. And then we look at the fact of, you know, how ubiquitous stress is. You made a great point. It can be positive or negative. Um, but, um, uh, I was going to say up to, you know, the CDC will say, you know, to 75% of all doctor's visits are caused by stress and medical textbooks will say 60, 80% of all diseases caused by stress. So we yeah. know these pieces, but the question I had to look at as a practitioner and yeah. what I'm encouraging your listeners to do as well is what are we going to do about that? How are we going to include that knowledge in our model of what is health? Because if we're ignoring it, we're making a huge mistake, huge, huge mistake. Yeah. What did, what did you find for yourself in terms of, you know, the, the, the balance of these things that you felt like you needed to put more attention towards, you know, was it, was it physical things? Was it emotional things, you, you know, spiritual things? Was there, was there something that really stuck out to you as far as what you felt like you needed to put more attention on to or stress management or whatever? Yeah. It, so yes. Um, um, so first of all, it was working with nutrition. So I cut out the sugar, cut out dairy, and that yeah. made a huge improvement. And then it was rebuilding my body piece by piece. And the first main organ I looked at was cardiovascular system, kind of rebuilding the heart with specific whole food 
based supplements. And that was incredibly helpful. Um, I did a lot of cranial sacral massage actually during this time I was going, I was going for a while. I was going, I can't remember between once a week and a couple times a month, um, at the recommendation of my chiropractor Mm. based on that idea of balancing that autonomic nervous system. So I did that for, I did that for years. Um, so I was trying to, trying to calm that down, building up the, building up the body with nutrition. Then the more I got into it, the more I realized one, the importance of stress and two, now, if I start to get headaches, it's often more on that stress level as an example of, you know, working with patients or clients through difficult situations, especially that yeah. involve different kinds of abuse. Yeah, I'm pretty good not getting affected by that and I get better and better. Yeah. But sometimes you always, I find the next client walks in and that could be something that I haven't encountered before or is it? more extreme example or something, yeah. or you just don't know why, but that one hits me hard. And that's often where the headaches come from now. Ah. It's happening more on this emotional, energetic, you know, you know, spiritual, energetic level where it's like you can feel what's going on when you're working with patients and clients and that'll trigger some things in me. Yeah. So yeah. I can feel that's it now. Um, so that's, yeah, that's kind of where it is now. So at the beginning, it was like just smelling sugar would give me a headache, forget eating it. And I was very, I had a lot of food sensitivity. So it's very built that up. But as I've kind of worked on these different levels, first laying the nutritional found work, the found, sorry, the nutritional foundation, then you build up to make the body stronger. Then you kind of build these pieces up. Now I find it's very much more on that, uh, that's that energetic side when I get knocked out now that's the first area I'm looking unless there's something obvious in the physical that I didn't do like, but that's rare that I would do something like eat a bunch of sugar or eat something that would just trigger that. Now often it's like, and the key question to ask is the same one you did with the the lady with the deadbolt. When exactly did that begin? Right. And I think that's a question all of your listeners can ask themselves because if you don't have high blood pressure and then you do something changed. Yeah. Right. And there's a lot of information and knowledge in that change point. Yeah. Right. And if you can find, if you can mine that change point to find it, if you don't have back pain, then you do something happened. If you got to mine that, or whatever the symptom is, if you can really dig in deep on that, um, there's a, there's a great answer. There's a great answer there. Yeah. And, 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 and I will try to get almost like when I ask a question like that, I'll try to get, you know, dates and years and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because it it may not come through right away. It may not people people may not have anything that they feel like, nah, I don't remember anything super specific, but just like, you know, that we talked about earlier, like, oh yeah, that's right. I went through the windshield of a car. Yeah. Because we there the, the, there's a lot of protective mechanism that's built into trauma. And yeah. a lot of times I find people forget about the trauma. And sometimes it's not even a trauma that like I was there was a woman I was working with with headaches for a while who she was younger. She was in her twenties. And she was a teacher and she was kind of in a situation that sounded difficult. So the headaches were flaring. She thought it might be from the teaching. And, but she was, you know, she was trying to get off of having to take the, uh, the really heavy meds for, for the migraines, but she was getting like nine to 15 a month. I mean, it was pretty significant. And I, you know, I had my regular intake form. Usually I, I ask about hard falls on the tailbone or head injuries, partly because that's my system, right? My dural membrane system yeah. is kind of the system that I'm trying to see, has there been any impact on on that system? But also from a traumatic standpoint, what's, what, is there anything that's gone on that might've affected the, the nervous system as, as a whole? And got nothing from her really. And then 
while I'm working on her sacrum, she, she says, you know, I feel a lot of pressure in my head right now. We kind of stay with that for a second. And then a couple minutes later, she's, she's like, I did have a really bad tailbone injury. I was at my friend's house and we were doing this thing we weren't supposed to was sleeping. It was a sleepover and I fell off this thing on my tailbone, yeah. you know, and it's really interesting how, but the, and the things that, that I, I find sometimes end up being linked that we don't, we, the, the, the fact that she still remembers the fact that yeah. she, that there's, there's also some shame going on there. That's yeah. that she's still holding on to that feeling in her body. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's not as if her headaches are all about that one thing. But it's but it is another factor, you know. Like it's it's something that nobody else has has looked at in the medical system, and the reality is, her her headaches went down significantly from that yeah. session on, and it wasn't the end of things. But there was some shifting that started to happen, and then she was starting to address some of the things that you did, you know. We, when we talked about it right away, like talking about some dietary things, and you know, when did these start getting worse? And start you know, we started pulling together a whole bunch of different details, but. You, you, you have to stay open to those kinds of those kinds of things too. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like ultimately, how do you know if it has an effect on it or not? You look at how the patient does after it. Yeah. And that's what I'll tell them. I don't know whether this is 2% of what's going on with you or 20% or 100%, but I'll tell you, we're both going to find out, right? right? And we'll see you over the next couple of weeks. And when you see a change point in the symptomatology, that tells you you're on the right path. Right. And you, and you just you take that. And if the patient did not get better, then you'd say, OK, that wasn't it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then you keep going with the next piece. But it's, it's it's a really clear it's you know, it's really clear to look at, you know, is it you know, it's not you or I theorizing about whatever we may be theorizing about. Ultimately, it's being proved out by the patient every visit. Yeah. Are they getting better? Are they getting what they want? Are they moving towards that? And if they are, that's fantastic. And we're going to keep going. If not, we say, OK. That was a wrong term. Let's get back on the road and try something else. Sometimes less is is more to start out with. Yeah, and and I th I think there's there's so much in your in your book that basically starts giving people some small things, just kind of one thing at a time. Yeah. that you can start thinking about about doing for yourself, and and a lot of it comes down to like really kind of personal care practices and things things that you, you can and also people that you can kind of work with that might be helpful to kind of guide you. Because I think that's the one thing that you and I both kind of have made a big part yeah. of our, our work. Well, thank you. And that's the intention. It's just to help, help people rewire their brain around health. Cause if you're, if you're in a situation where your health isn't reflecting where you want it to be, it's a result of some beliefs or some ideas or some answers that aren't fully optimized for you. And I think rather there's a lot of value in looking at the latest tip, tip or trick or fad diet or supplement. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of good in there. There's also a lot of wild stuff in there that yeah. can distract you. But I think if the, we start with the basics, which is just, if you want to get to LA, you better know where LA is on a map and you better know, you better know the destination to clearly get there. And if we want to get to health, we better understand what that is. And a lot of that involves rewiring, including some of these extra pieces around stress, around energy, around holism. And there's key principles that as you put those into your life, and as you take baby steps form one step at a time, your health will improve. And that's the intention um, of writing that book to share that with the readers and the listeners so they can do that and create better health step by step by step. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate it, Jeff. And, um, well, let's, 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 maybe we'll do a round two. We, I feel like we've scratched the surface of what, what we kind of could get into here. <laughs> I, I, I feel the same way and I'd really enjoy doing a round two. Um, yeah, it was, it was great to connect with you and I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Likewise, Jeff.
Nice to meet you. Thank you. Dr. Jeff Crippen, folks. The idea of building health rather than destroying disease is a notion that is gaining traction in our culture, but it is unfortunately not yet supported by most insurers and therefore not a part of general health care. Jeff and I both went through health challenges early enough in our lives that we were forced to look at what creates a foundation of wellness. And as we discussed here, the body is innately intelligent, but it requires engagement and support and ideally the help of a dedicated care team who will hold us accountable and guide us when we get off track. Let me know what you thought of this topic in conversation. You can reach out to me anytime at my email address, jeremy at highway2.health. And if you love this conversation, you can re-listen and watch it on Highway to Health podcast channel on YouTube. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Medicine in America, hosted by Anthony Manson, and Todd Harrington shares the stories of physicians, other healthcare professionals, and industry leaders who are changing the way we deliver care. There's an episode that you should check out called Primary Care Reimagined with Subscription-Based Preventative Care Model. It's an inspiring call for a paradigm shift in primary care. All of their episodes highlight innovative ideas at the forefront of the movement to transform our healthcare system. Check out Medicine in America on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.